Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. This week we're talking about what is faith the size of a mustard seed. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine, a former classmate in seminary, him and his wife were preparing to have their first child. And this friend of mine, his name is Zeke, he had a very absorbing hobby. And he had posted something on Facebook that he and his wife were having some sort of disagreement over how zealously he should continue to pursue this very involving hobby, knowing that this baby was coming. And he made some comment. I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember that basically when I replied to him, I said, when you're expecting to have a baby, most people I know imagine that their lives will be just like the lives they have now, except with a baby. This was better... This was better at 8 o'clock because Patrick was with me, my son, who's five, and he was just standing here playing with my robes. But it's true, right? When we, if you can remember what it was like, if those of you who have children, if you can think back to what it was like before you had children and you were anticipating them, you probably just imagine that your life would be just like the life you have now, except for a baby. You're going to do all the same things that you do except there will be a kid with you, right? And of course, those of us who have children know that's not exactly how it works. <laughs> right? That they're just not like, they're not like a, like a doll that you can just sit down while you do what you normally do and they're there. It turns out they're independent people 
who do their own thing. And, and what I told my friend was, you know, this hobby of yours it, that's so absorbing, that's like the highest priority in your life, and I can understand that. But the truth is, is that when you have children, things that seemed really important to you may start to seem less important. And things you never imagined would take up a moment of your time may become the most important things that you do. Right? That, that children affect every aspect of our lives, right? There is no part of your life untouched by the experience of becoming a parent. But ultimately, what I was trying to get at is none of us are prepared to be parents. I know most people, no matter how old they are, are still waiting to become grown-ups, <laughs> where they know the answers. Because when we were young, the old people, they always knew. But now that we're older, we don't know. So how come that is, right? So we're not prepared. We're not prepared for, for the changes that parenthood brings. And I think that that's actually a pretty apt analogy for what Jesus is trying to talk about here in the mustard seed of faith, right? Because it doesn't matter how prepared you were to be a parent, it doesn't matter if you had 12 little brothers and sisters and you took care of all of them while your parents were off doing whatever parents do. It doesn't matter if you were the world's best babysitter. It doesn't matter if you were like the greatest uncle in the world who always spent time with kids. None of that prepares you, really. I mean, you can learn some skills like changing diapers and stuff, but it doesn't really prepare you for the experience of being a parent, right? That we enter into that wholly unequipped for the task. And yet somehow, for most of us, if things go well, down the road, there's a grown-up that started out as a baby. And even though maybe we weren't very good at being parents and, and we surely made some mistakes along the way that they will tell us about, a grown-up kind of comes out of it. That that no matter how ill-prepared we were, we still did this amazing thing. And there's a person out in the world on their own, if, if we're fortunate. Faith, I think, kind of works the same way. None of us, none of us are prepared for what Jesus asks of us. None of us are smart enough. None of us are believe enough. None of us trust enough. And yet, if we can come up with just, as Jesus says, a mustard seed's worth of faith, right? A teeny, tiny, little bit of faith. We can do something as miraculous as launching a human being into the world. More amazing than that, even. And it doesn't matter that we're not prepared. What matters is that we're willing to try. Right? Because this story from Luke's gospel where Jesus is responding to the disciples' request for an increase of faith, we, let's put that in context a little bit. Jesus has been talking to the disciples about the consequences of poor choices. Right? He told the story that we heard last week of the rich man and Lazarus. And remember that the rich man had every benefit that his society offers. He was living good. 
And on his doorstep was Lazarus, the poor man, who literally ate the garbage scraps off of the rich man's table. He was in such poor shape that, you know, the dogs would like lick his sores. I mean, it's a really terrible story. And in the parable, Jesus says they both die at the same time. And the rich man in death is in agony, and the poor man is in his glory with Father Abraham, partaking of all that is good. And the rich man looks across the chasm that separates them and says, Oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to me that he could dip his water finger in the water and give me a moment's relief. And Abraham tells him, but you had every good thing in life, and Lazarus had nothing, and so you've gotten your reward. Right, And so the moral of that story is the purpose that Jesus is telling it is to say that our choices have consequences. That when we are here in this world and we have an opportunity to see those around us in need, we are to call, take the opportunity to help them. And the rich man was so self-involved, he was so selfish that he didn't even have eyes to see the beggar who ate his table scraps. He didn't even notice poor Lazarus. And then after he tells that story, Jesus talks about how as bad as it is for us to make poor choices for ourselves, it's even worse to lead other people to make poor choices. It's better, Jesus says, that they had a millstone around their neck than that they led the little ones astray. And so the disciples who are committed to Jesus, they hear these stories about the consequences and about, about the choices they need to be making and the way they need to be living their lives. And they go, Jesus, that sounds really hard. Can you increase our faith a little bit, please? And Jesus tells them then, you only need a mustard seed of faith. You only need to just start doing, start trying. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus never says that. Well, he kind of sort of says that. But he doesn't really expect it. I mean, the disciples, I mean, you know, the disciples, I mean, really, they constantly get it wrong, and Jesus still loves them. Jesus still loves you too. And Jesus asked the same of you that he asked of his disciples, to stop waiting for perfect faith to respond to the world's needs. Stop waiting till you are 100% convinced. Stop waiting until you have all of the resources you need. Stop waiting until the situation is just right, that your life is in a good spot. Stop waiting. Just do. Go out there and love. Because what Jesus says is you don't have to have everything. You don't have to be fully prepared. You just need a little bit of hope. Because that's what faith is. St. Paul tells us that faith is the expectation of things hoped for. And so ultimately to maintain faith, to walk out in the world and do Jesus' work, all we need is just a mustard seed of hope, just a little bit of hope. And i got to be honest and say, I often feel these days that hope is a hard thing to find. That there is enough bad stuff and crap out in the world that, that hope seems foolish. But in the same way, when the disciples stood at the tomb on Good Friday, 
with their leader dead, their hopes dashed, their future in doubt. They had no idea that Easter was coming. And we can be people who choose to live on Good Friday, where darkness is conquered and hope is vanquished. Or we can choose to be people who live on Easter Sunday, when hope is rekindled, when death leads to life, when reconciliation and rebirth and resurrection are possible, where all things are possible. Those are the people we are invited to be. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a person who, even though we experience the Good Fridays of our lives, still lives on Easter Sunday, still lives with hope. And this whole edifice of church and religion and all of that, it's all designed to encourage us in our hope that we gather together to sing the songs and to hear the stories and to, and to share in each other's lives so that we can remember the power of hope and its transformative ability in our lives and in our world. Because just like the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus doesn't expect us to solve the problems of the world. But Jesus does expect us to notice the poor man eating the scraps off our table in our midst. And that what I have discovered, and that I imagine many of you already know, is that hope lives close to home. That, that when we watch the news or read the paper, if you still do that, or the Washington Post on your phone, like me, that it's easy to lose hope. But as we walk through our neighborhoods, as we meet our neighbors, as we visit our local stores, and we go out to our restaurants, and we encounter people at work or at school or here in church or wherever we find ourselves, that there is a great multitude of hope and good news. And so Jesus expects us and I think invites us to see our neighbors. That's why Jesus is always going on about neighbors, about those who are close by. And though we may not be able to solve the problems of the world, we can meet the needs of those we encounter in our daily lives. And that in doing so, we do two things. One is that we kindle hope in ourselves. And I think even more importantly, we offer hope to others. And if we all do that, right, how many people do you think you encounter in a single day? Five, a dozen, a hundred? If we are that agent of good and light and peace and hope in the lives of everyone we encounter, if we are a witness to the possibility that Christ offers to everyone we meet, that I can't even do the math. It exponentially expands the goodness and the hope in the world. And so our choice is really clear, I think, as Christian people. We can live in the hopelessness. We can give in to the darkness. We can stand in front of the cross and think that all is lost. Or we can be people who live and stare at an empty tomb and see the possibility that God offers to us in the invitation that Jesus gives us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. 
to be people of hope. Amen.